Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Kendall tonight and our topic is the Gate of Heaven Part 3. We've been talking about uh, the idea that the Bible is something that can connect us with heaven under certain circumstances. But what are those circumstances? Uh, and basically the way Swedenborg describes it, there are things that we need to be thinking and understanding and doing in order to align with the way that heaven approaches this text. Because according to Swedenborg, the angels are reading the same book, uh, but they read it differently than some ways that people read it down here, and that causes kind of a disconnect. Uh, the whole idea that's in the Lord's Prayer, as in heaven, so upon the earth kind of idea, uh, the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, uh, is this idea that at some point our earth is going to be more heaven-like. And what needs to happen with us, and I think we've had enough of this grand experiment that, uh, you know, <laughs> that the world is in right now, uh, let's be a little more heaven-like would be a, a good thing. It's not too, uh, too soon, you know, um, to be more like heaven. The Bible is something that can help in this cause, which is pretty amazing. A lot of people look at it as some, you know, Bronze Age, uh, archaic, uh, obsolete document or something. So the idea that this could actually help us with our modern day problems is pretty amazing. And so what we talked about the first time, this is part three, first time we talked about having the thoughts, the same kind of thoughts that angels are having, which particularly fall under correspondences, and the, what's called the doctrine of genuine truth, or you know, have, having a, a good understanding of what it's talking about, what the topics are. And then the second part that we had was talking about humility. This is the way the angels approach the text, is with humility. So tonight, what we're talking about is, um, it's, it's hard to summarize in a soundbite, but it has to do with uh, what are good works, what do they do for us? Uh, having an understanding that heaven has of those things will really help us get on the same page. And there are a, a lot of theories in this world related to Christianity and the Bible uh, that uh, Swedenborg says don't align with the way that heaven views the text. So good works is kind of the topic and, and what do they do for us? And if you're willing to come along on that journey, let's uh, get started, shall we friends? Let's open with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for bowing the heavens and coming down. We pray for your presence among us, Lord. You are both divine and human. You walked this earth. You had the same types of experiences that we have in this world. So you can be more present with us than ever before your incarnation. So we pray for your presence among us. Please open the pages of your word to us, Lord, so that we can understand who you are and what it is that you would have us do. Amen. Amen. So great to be with all of you, sending out love to those of you who are online and getting the uh, audio podcast and uh, all you wonderful people who are here in the room. So how does the Bible help us connect with heaven and what is it particularly about good works? No one would disagree with the idea that the Bible 
teaches good works. It certainly teaches that you're supposed to be a good person, treat other people well. It's, you know, it's all through there. Uh, where the trouble comes in is whether those good works have anything to do with our salvation or not. I've talked about this in some other episodes that uh, Kelly's wonderful index helped me find again. Uh, just for those of you who have the recorded version or something, episode 39 was about what saves us. Episode 113 was about how the game of life is scored. Uh, episode 168 was about the oil of joy, which had to do with salvation and joy. Episode 175 was how and why our actions save us. That's particularly important for what we're talking about tonight. And episode 228 got into a new view of the judgment day about what it is that we're evaluated on. So uh, the added element that I'm hoping to supply tonight is about the connection with heaven. What is it about these thoughts that connect us with heaven? So uh, the Bible says that good works are necessary. Let's look at a passage in Luke in the New Testament, uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 32 to 36. Very wonderful New Testament style teaching. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. It's pretty amazing to think that, you know, even sinners are, 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 are loving and they're doing good and so on. It just depends on who you're doing good to. Uh, go on. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? Mm. For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. And then here it is. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. One more verse, maybe. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Yes, okay, so, all right, now, um, so that says that sinners are able to love others, sinners are able to do good, but the hard part is to do that to your enemies. That's, that's what separates uh, a good way of doing this from another way. Uh, so it's kind of amazing even to say that, well, obviously... If, quote-unquote, sinners do good works, those good works haven't saved those sinners, you know. So you can understand why people would say, oh, well, good works aren't, aren't saving. You're supposed to do them, and you're supposed to do them in this particularly, you know, challenging way to love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. You know, not because, oh, if I do this, maybe I'll get something back, you know, for self-centered or worldly reasons, but just hoping for nothing in return. But when it says your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the highest or the most high, is that what your translation said, dear reader, in of verse the 35 there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, you could say, well, that reward is. Some might say, oh, that's heaven. It's talking about heaven, so that is talking about salvation. But others would say, well, no, maybe it's just financial reward or the reward of the love of your fellow human beings or something like that. Uh, maybe it's not talking about salvation. 
Uh, this is typical of a lot of teachings, especially in the New Testament, about, um, about love, about the doing of good, and the fact that this is necessary. A few years ago, uh, there was a document put out, a whole bunch of uh, evangelical churches got together and put out an evangelical manifesto, which was a summary. It was impressive that they were able to do it from different, different denominations and everything that was kind of an encapsulation of what they believe. And uh, one of the points made in there is that we should be doing good works 24-7 and that our good works contribute nothing whatever to our salvation. You know, so it was just interesting that juxtaposition that you ought to do it all the time, but it does nothing for you when it comes to going to heaven because that's purely on the basis of your faith. That's grace. You can't earn it by merit because, oh, I did these good works, so therefore I deserve heaven or something. You know, it's on the basis of faith. Um, okay, now how, how about that? Well, let's look at the passage that that's based on. So if you turn to the right and go through John and Acts, let get, let's get to Romans. It's not that there's only one passage, but there's a central keystone passage that's about this. Um, it's 3 verse 28. We might as well cut to the chase and just read that crucial verse there. Romans 3 verse 28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart, apart from the deeds of the law. Yes. Okay. Okay. Now say that again. A man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Ah. So does that mean justified is justified the same as saved? Justified is like made righteous. So you're justified by faith, and that's apart from the deeds of the law. So it does, you, you know, you're not justified by doing what the law says. You're justified by faith. So that's a teaching. It's, um, uh, the other night I just happened to watch the movie The Imitation Game again about Alan Turing and about trying to crack the Enigma code of the German code. You know, you got this, it was really the first computer, and all these wheels are whizzing around and everything. And it would run for, you know, they only had, each day they would change the code. So this thing would run for 18 hours and not be able to crack it. And they'd have to start again the next day because the code is different. And they start, so they were trying to get it, and they're trying to get it. And it seemed like a, they finally had to get some, some little key, something you could narrow it down on, that would speed it up and that was able to speed it up and they were able to crack the code. Well, it's interesting when you think about the complexity of like tens of thousands of verses in Scripture and which verse do you make important and which one is less important. You know, which one do you read in the light of another one? Uh, there are people in our world who read like this is central. This is the tent pole. This is the thing at the center of Christianity is that you're justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. And then around that, you arrange everything else that's taught about good works and so on. Uh, what Swedenborg says about this passage, he deals with this a lot. And he says that this passage has been twisted, it's been misunderstood. Paul did not mean by this that you're not saved or that it's not important what you do. Uh, and he didn't mean that this law meant the law of the Ten Commandments. And you can see that pretty simply just by, let's read verses 29 and 30 just, and 31, because that helps. A little context is often helpful, isn't it, friends? Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. 
since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. One of the problems that Swedenborg points out here is that is the law of the Ten Commandments or is it the 613 commandments of the Old Testament law, all those dietary ritual things and, you know, prohibitions about milk and meat and, you know, all kinds of things. Uh, And he believes that what Paul is talking about here is the 613 things of the law because it mentions circumcision in there, right? Which is not not one of the Ten Commandments, you know? We're not talking about the Ten Commandments law. We're talking about circumcision law, which is the Jewish, you know, that was one of one of the key things about the Jewish law and which separated the Jews from from uh, the Gentiles. And part of how Paul arrived at this, I believe, is that he had been a tremendous practicer of all those Old Testament laws. He knew them very well. He was a Pharisee. He describes himself as a Hebrew of the Hebrews in Philippians chapter 2. And he says that, you know, if anybody had something to boast about with doing all that, he did it perfectly well, but he ended up still with a a murderous heart at the end of all that. Basically, he consented to the stoning of Stephen and other acts like this. And he says of himself that that, uh, he had that mentality, which is against the Ten Commandments. So it's sort of amazing, like follow the 613, but not the 10, you know? (laughs) And uh, so he's talking about... uh, it's faith, like you can do the 613 commandments uh, and, and all those ritual things and the dietary laws until you're blue in the face and not come into true righteousness. That's part of what he's saying. Because from his own example, that's what he experienced. He had not, when Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus, Jesus is upset with him uh, because of the way that he is. He's persecuting the followers of Christianity and Jesus is upset with him and challenges him on this. And so I think it was the great shock of his life that he was not right with God, you know, with this divine, with Jesus, uh, even though he'd been doing everything supposedly right. And so that's why he often says things like, oh no, it's not by the law, you know, because the law would have gotten me there. If anybody was going to get there, I would have been ahead of everybody else, and I didn't get there. And that's why it has to do more with, with faith. But, he says, does this do away with the law? God forbid. No, we establish the law. Uh, do we make void the law through faith? No, we don't. And there are tons of things. Now, look at Romans 2, previous chapter. Oh, let's just uh, read verses 4, 5, and 6 there in Romans 2. So this is the very chapter before that 3.28. What does this say? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, Good. you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, uh, of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. There it is. There it is. Deeds. You see? Now, so when people talk about good works, okay, Scripture's teaching good works all the time. Good works, good works. You're supposed to do good works. The issue is, do they contribute to your salvation or not? Well, here's Paul. He doesn't say the word salvation, 
but he does say about the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, which sounds like kind of that, that moment where you know, we go to heaven or hell or something. Uh, and what does he say the basis is? Who will render to everyone according to his faith? No, everyone according to his deeds. And, and uh, let's read the next uh, verse because it makes it even clearer there. According to his deeds, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Wow, so patient continuance in doing good. Isn't that a great phrase? Is that a faith alone phrase? Now this Romans 3.28 is where Luther inserted the word alone. Man is justified by faith alone apart from the works of the law. He stuck that in his German translation of the New Testament. And um, that's where faith alone, you know, comes from. There's only one other passage in Scripture that talks about faith alone in James 2. And it says that we're not justified by faith alone, uh, you know, but by our works. Um, so that says uh, eternal life. Salvation, right? Isn't that salvation? So this is saying that our deeds have something to do with how we get everlasting life, doesn't it? That, that, that has something to do with salvation. And what about the other group in verse 8? But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. Oh, now does evil. Is that a metaphor for something? Does evil. I don't understand that phrase does evil that's the problem is doing evil is what supposedly the oh who knew okay go on uh, of the jew first and also of the greek yes so this is the same yeah it's the same uh but go on verse 10 but glory honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the jew first and also to the greek for there is no partiality with god that's right Okay, so that, this is Paul, hello, downtown faith alone, uh, right next to this <laughs> pillar cornerstone, and he's saying it matters how you live. In fact, your salvation is based on how you live. It, it renders to everyone according to their deeds. That rendering is like, what do you get? What is the reward? Or what's the, what, what's the you know, how does your life turn out? And uh, it's according to our deeds. I don't see faith really particularly mentioned in there anywhere. It talks about repentance, talks about rendering us according to our deeds, being patient in doing good, and doing evil is bad. And what, it does mention truth in verse 8, but it says whether you're obeying the truth or not, which is about how you live, not about whether you have faith or not, right? Uh, so that passage, so there's Paul. Hmm. So there's Paul saying that. Let's go back to Matthew. So turn left and go back through the four Gospels to Matthew chapter 3. This is also taught in the Gospels. So I just want to hit certain passages about this, and then we can talk about them a little bit. Matthew 3. Let's read verses 1 to 10 here. This is John the Baptist, the beginning of his preaching. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, 
make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him mm. and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Isn't that interesting? Confessing their sins. Yeah, and so he says, repent, and people come out and they confess their sins as they're baptized by him in the Jordan. Go on. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Bread of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Mm. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Now, there's some people who they see that talk about repentance in the scripture, but they say, oh, well, repentance, that sort of just happens when you have faith, like having faith is repentance, so that, that does your repentance for you, nothing you have to do. But when he starts talking about fruits, doesn't fruit have to do with our actions? Go on. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Okay, now let's think about that imagery right there in verse 10. The axe is laid at the root of the trees. Now, he's just been telling people about bearing fruit, right? And then he likens people to trees. The axe is laid at the root of the trees. And, okay, now, is it too much of a stretch to imagine that that fire has something to do with hell? What's the fire that the tree is going to... If the tree is a person, what's the fire that the tree is going to be thrown into? Uh isn't that hell that it's talking about? He doesn't say it point blank. It's in the imagery. And what is the basis of being cast into the fire? Who gets cast into the fire and who doesn't? Uh, Every tree. Sorry. Every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's right. So if you, if you bear good fruit, you're fine. And if, you don't, if it doesn't say anything about your faith, I don't see anything about your faith in there. It's whether you make the cut or not is based on whether you're bearing good fruit or not? Are you being useful? Are you, being, are you doing good? As we read in Paul as well. So the Gospels and Paul are, are very much aligned about this issue. Matthew 25 is another one along these lines. So partly, good friends, if you're just getting in a debate with somebody about it or whatever, these are some passages that you can go to about this. I always think about Matthew 25. If you don't need, if you don't have anything else, the, Matthew 25 is great. I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. Uh, Matthew 25 has three parables in it. And the third one is this parable of the sheep and the goats. In the interest of time, we won't go through all this, but let's just read. Um, uh, we got to read the setting a little bit here. Okay, let's pick up at verse 31 there. When the so son it's the end of Matthew 25. Go on. Okay. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Okay, this is it. Here it is. Like there's the good guys in the back. You know, here we go. This is the big separation. What is the basis of this? 
and he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Okay, inherit the kingdom. Surely that's the kingdom of God, right? Uh, that is heaven that it's talking about. Inherit heaven. So this is not just talking about, oh, you should do good works 24-7. That's good. It's good for other people. God likes it when you do that. No, this is talking about the basis of your salvation, isn't it? It talks about inherit. So the sheep are the ones who inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And what is the basis of how do you get into heaven? 35? Yes. Okay. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Interesting. None of those six says anything about uh, you had great faith or your thoughts were amazing. or so, you know, It doesn't say that. It's all about how you treat people, isn't it? Every single one of them is about treating people. And then this moving thing here, verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Yes, this is the big shock is they didn't realize when they were doing good to others that the Lord was benefiting. And I can't think of a stronger passage for aligning love of the neighbor with love of God. Right? It really, really says, oh, that's the same thing. You do good to the neighbor, you're doing good to the Lord. That's what the Lord wants. So those things are united, and Swedenborg's always talking about love of the Lord and love of the neighbor, love of the Lord, love of the neighbor. Those are the good loves, and here they are right side by side, and that's a basis of that's who inherits the kingdom, is people who did that. They were surprised about it. They didn't realize it was a good thing to do, but that did do it. And then he says, uh, let's look at verse 41, because it's important here with the question of, are we talking about salvation? Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Ah, cut down the tree and throw it in the fire. It seems like the same fire. He's talking about the hellfire there. And then he explains, I was hungry and you didn't give me anything. I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything. And they say to him, Lord, when were you this way? And he said, inasmuch as you didn't do it to one of the least of these, you didn't do it to me. And verse 46 clinches it. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Yeah, it might be a hard saying, but that's the teaching of the New Testament. So there's the gospel that's right out of the mouth of Jesus that good works have everything to do. So with your Enigma machine, do you dial, which, which is in the center, Romans 3.28 or Matthew 25? Which is a key to the rest of the code? You put Matthew 25 in the middle, you got a different Christianity than you do with Romans 3.28 misunderstood. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Romans 3.28, but it has been misunderstood. 
and, and uh, kind of abused, I would have to say. And, uh, okay, now uh, there's one, so good works are definitely good for our neighbor, clearly, when you think of, you know, like the golden rule, do unto others as you have them do unto you. Uh, few people uh, want to be murdered or sexually violated. Or what, you, you know, we, we generally don't like that. Um, so when you think about the way you want someone to treat you, you know, you want them to do good to you. You don't want them to do evil to you. Well, so we should be doing that same thing to others, and that's also good for the Lord. Now, what about, though, isn't it possible to do good works in a hypocritical way, to do good works in a way where um, you're just seeking favor or you're, it's kind of manipulative or, you know, you have some selfish or worldly gain that you have in mind. Uh, because didn't we read earlier on that even the sinners love people and even the sinners do good, you know, but they must be expecting some sort of reward. It comes back to them, like what's in it for me? kind of thing, right? Uh, what does the Lord say about that? Let's look at Luke. So turn to the right and go to Luke 13. The Lord addresses this too in here in a, in a passage. It could be a little, little baffling. Uh, in 13, verse 23, someone asks him a potent question that is, has everything to do with salvation. What is that? Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? Aha. Uh -huh. Are there few? You know, how many people get saved? Are there f only few? And what does he say? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. Mm. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Oh. Mm. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door... And you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you, where you are from. Hmm. Then you, and then so what will we say under that circumstance? Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you, where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. And in some passage we just read, there was also a depart from me, wasn't there? Depart from me. Uh, I don't know where you're from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Well, wait, they aren't workers of iniquity, are they? They say we ate and drank in your, pre drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. And, but he's saying, I don't know you. They want to go in, but they're unable to go in. It's kind of scary, isn't it? Let's look at that verse 28. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. Okay, it sounds pretty salvation-based. Okay, go on. They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, mm. and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. Okay, so there'll be kind of a, a reversal that goes on. So again, he's talking about the con context of salvation. Swedenborg says some very interesting things about this, and he uses other scriptures to prove it as well. I just picked this one out tonight. Uh, that it's not just your good works 
Your good works are tremendously important, but it's the quality of your heart and mind in those good works. He says that, you know, 10 people can do exactly the same thing for 10 entirely different reasons. Uh, he has a spiritual experience uh, one time when he's out in company with people in this world. He was experiencing uh, uh, both heaven and this world at the same time. And he's sitting there at a table with other people, and they're pretty much, as we can tell, he doesn't use this exact phrase, but it seems like they're telling dirty jokes. He says something about jokes concerning Venus and Cupid, or something, you know, he says something. But I think it's dirty jokes, you know, they're, they're, you know that, that's what they're telling. And the angels say, that's fine for that person. That person's in deep trouble. This one's okay. Not good over here. So they're all in the same act. You know, people can be sitting around doing exactly the same thing, but what's in people's hearts is different. Now, those are not good works, you know. That's just telling dirty jokes or something. But uh, even in that case, what's in your heart can excuse you or condemn you uh, depending on, you know, where you're coming from in what you're doing. For some people who are telling a d dirty joke, it's all sorts of hell that's going on in their spirit about it. And other people are just doing it to get along with people. And this is what the others are doing. And, oh, I thought of a funny one or something, you know, and trying to make people laugh or something. You know, they come from a totally different place. So people can come from different places in what they do. So Swedenborg is at pains to explain that it's not just works that sort of look good on the outside. Because I think these people were doing those, but the Lord said, depart from me. I don't know who you are. You're actually workers of iniquity, you know. And that was based on because the Lord could see their heart. He could see that where they were coming from. It was from a, a bad place, a self-centered place. So it's if your heart is in a good place. Well, that sets the bar even higher, doesn't it? We not only have to occasionally treat people well, but we have to do it uh, out of a place of love and, and with some wisdom or, or thoughtfulness or something like that. So that's, that's pretty hard. So truly good works are the ones... Uh, that are done from that loving heart. Now, when Swedenborg talks about truly good works, I think he's talking about what is effective for your salvation. I think if you're on the, you know, often good friends, we go into the mall and we're being served by people or what, you know, you go to a restaurant or whatever people are serving you. On the receiving end, a good work is pretty much a good work. You know what I mean? Thank you for bringing, you know, dessert. I appreciate that, you know. Uh, and, and whether they're upset with you or they're self-centered, they're just doing it for the money or whatever, you know, it doesn't really matter on the receiving end. So I think what Swedenborg is saying is, yeah, good works are good, and what's good for your salvation is good works that you really mean, you know, that are coming from a good and loving place inside you. And uh, so good works are necessary for the Lord and the neighbor, and truly good works are ones that come from a good heart, and this is what these people didn't do. They didn't have a good heart. So he says, many will seek to enter in but won't be able to because their heart, they, they were just, it's hypocritical. They're doing it for show. Uh, and uh, these kind of good works, good works that have a good heart in them from the Lord are truly uh, effective and contribute to our salvation Let's continue with that list. Let's go to the right to John 15. But if you only remember one, 
Remember that Matthew 25 at the end there. That's, that's the one. But Romans 2.6 is also fun because it's right there in Romans, downtown, faith alone, central, you know, and, uh, and it's right there. It says God will render to everyone according to their deeds, not their faith. John 15, uh, verses 1 and 2. Let's look at that. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Okay, now that may not sound like it's particularly about salvation, but we heard what John the Baptist said about that tree and about branches and things like that. And if the tree isn't bearing good fruit, it's cut down and thrown in the fire. This just has a nice little sort of euphemism. It just gets taken away. You know, every branch that does not bear fruit is taken away. And then the branches that bear fruit are pruned so that they may bear more fruit. Uh, so it's not overt, but when you put it together with those other ones, you realize this too is about salvation and the issue is bearing fruit. It's not a faith situation. It's a fruit situation. Um, oh, okay. Uh, let's go back to John chapter 3. Something's just coming to mind, which is pretty important here, because here's another passage Another sort of central pillar of Christianity is John 3.16. What does that say? It makes it sound like it's based on faith. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, everlasting life. Well, there it is. You're saved on the basis of your faith because you believed in the Son and now you're saved. Well, let's read the next five verses. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe, who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Okay, that whole thing is about faith. So faith is really important. If you have it, you're good. If you don't, you're not. Okay, okay. Let's read on. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Why? For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Mm. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. And that's such an important point. You know, we can't, we try to bootstrap ourselves up into good works and all that. But the really good works are things that are inspired by the Lord. Uh, the Lord gives you that inspiration and you see from the word what you should be doing. And then you practice that. And then lo and behold, heaven flows into that. And it's truly good. So it's true that from our lower selves, we can't do that. We can do nothing of good, as scripture says. But um, uh, if you don't, follow what the word says nothing happens whatsoever and so i'm very interested in this series where uh there's faith 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 in those first three verses but then the second three verses start talking about that darn doing evil again thing didn't they they started talking about this is the condemnation that light came into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil well if your deeds are evil and therefore you hate the light how would you ever get to the point of belief Faith comes after 
you change your life. Isn't that the implication here? If your deeds are evil, you won't come to the light because you fear being exposed. But those who do the truth, such a great expression for following the marching orders in the word, you know, doing the truth, come to the light that their deeds may be manifest, that they're done in God. Uh, so that's a very important distinction. It's another pillar, but when you read the context again, wait a minute, I don't think it means exactly what everybody's making that out to mean. Because if your deeds are evil, you can't just have faith and be saved if your deeds are evil. Because if your deeds are evil, you won't even come to the light. You hate the light. So you're not going to have faith. You know, you're not going to believe. So the deeds actually come first and faith is, is uh, afterwards. Uh, let's go back into the epistles. So go through the end of John through Acts and Romans, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Now here we are in Paul land again. Isn't Paul going to tell us that it's all about faith and all that kind of stuff? I mean, he certainly does things about saved by grace and all that. Uh, and I've done many Bible studies on that. And you really can show, they've so often just read the next verse. It talks about good works, uh, that you have to continue in them and do them and so on. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11. Here again, it talks about the possibility of doing good works from a different place than actual goodness in your heart. Look at verses 13 to 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. Mm. And no wonder, for Satan himself trans transforms himself into an angel of light. Mm. Swedenborg talks about this quite a bit, that yes, at least on a short-term basis, Satan can present himself as an angel of light. Uh, so it's possible to sort of pass yourself off as an angel. Go on. Therefore, it is no great thing if his, if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, mm. whose end will be according to their works. There it is again, okay? Whose end will be according to their works. So in other words, what do works mean there? It means you can dress it up, you can be hypocritical or say, I'm an angel of light, look, I'm doing all this good stuff. If it's not coming from a good place, the end will be according to their works. Okay, uh, let's go to Galatians. Let's just make it slightly worse, shall we? Galatians <laughs> chapter 5. I know some tender consciences are singing and so on. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, Galatians 5, verse 19 to 21. It's another one I like. It's Paul. And he's writing to the Galatians, and tell me if this is talking about faith alone, all you have to do is believe. The Lord took care of that. It's all washed away when you got baptized. There's nothing you have to worry about in your salvation is on the basis of your faith and not on the basis of how you live your life. Tell me that is what it's talking about here. Look at 5, 19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, <laughs> drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yes, and practice or do in the old King James, um, I think means on and on again and again and again, you know, or something like if that's what your life is all about is those things. 
Now, does he say anything about faith? Oh, those who have faith, those who don't have faith, it doesn't talk about that. It's about your behavior. You know, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, there's hope, which is in the form of repentance. Look at verse 22, which is so beautiful. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And one more. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Yes, that's right. And so if you belong to the Lord, you've been working on those things. You've been working on laying those things aside. It's not that people don't have those or whatever, uh, but if you're working on it, you're laying those things aside. You know, you're crucifying those things of the flesh and uh, walking instead in the Spirit. And isn't it interesting in verse 22 that it likens this to fruit? Again, this is fruit. This is about how you live your life. This is Paul. It's downtown Paul, you know, and Paul is saying the way that you live your life is what you're inheriting the kingdom of God or not is based on. It's a very important message for Scripture to get across, and that's why it's emphasized. It's in the, you know, it's in the Gospels. It's in the Epistles. Let's turn to the right and you'll go through things that don't start with a T, and then you'll see some things that do start with a T, First and Second Thessalonians. I want to go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And look at 4.16 here. This is Paul's advice to Timothy. Again, here's Paul. What does he say? What do you have to do to save yourself? Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Look at that. It didn't say, believe this. It said, you've got to do that and take heed to yourself. Like, pay attention to yourself. You know, watch your behavior and so on. And continue in this, for in doing this, doing, doing salvation. Right there in the same verse, it's Paul, doing salvation. In doing this, you will both save yourself and the people. Uh, Timothy was a, was a minister, and he's saying, you'll both save yourself and the people and your parishioners. You know, you've got to practice this. Uh, it's all about the doing. You'll save yourself, and you'll save those who hear you. And just two more from the book of Revelation, just in case we left anything out, in case the apocalyptic literature in the New Testament is feeling left out. Revelation chapter 20 you know, Revelation is full of weird, strange, imagery and bizarre things about the end of times and everything like that. But it seems pretty clear on this particular point. Look at 20, verses 12 and 13. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged and they were judged each one according to his works. Yes, works. Same message we heard in the gospels, same message we heard in the epistles. Here in this strange apocalyptic literature, it goes out of its way to say, "Oh no, that no. There's nothing fancy here. It's the same thing." You're judged according to your works. 
according to the quality of heart in what you did. Revelation 22, this will be the last reading on this, verses 12 to 14. And this is pretty clear too. If you think of the holy city, New Jerusalem, if that's heaven coming down in this world, which is what we're you know, aiming for in this series of uh, Bible studies, uh, this tells you how to get into that city. Look at what the Lord says in verse 12. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. I think that's talking about salvation. You're being blessed. You're blessed if you do his commandments. doesn't say anything about faith. You're blessed if you do the commandments. That gives you a right to the tree of life, and you can enter in through the gates into the city. And the Lord just said, I'm coming. My reward is with me. And what's the basis of that reward? To give to everyone according to their work, to the way they live their lives. Now, hopefully this will salve any tender consciences, good friends. Think about that Matthew 25, the goats and the sheep, did those people know, were they confident, or did they feel humble, you know? We talked about humility last time. They were pretty humble. The Lord said, guess what? You did me a big favor. I did? Yeah, you were nice to people. I was? You know, they're amazed. <laughs> so it's nice that uh, we can be doing this without realizing uh, even, you know, that we're just trying to be good people and the Lord is leading us uh, to do this. Uh, the, the thing that you want to watch for, the thing that condemns us, as I've said in other Bible studies, is when you are so devotedly opposed to the Lord and all that is good that you gladly attack what is good full force. You just hate it and try to attack it. And it does no good. It doesn't hurt the good but it does cast you down into hell because you finally made up your mind that that's what you're about. So don't worry. If you're not at that point, friends, there's still hope for you. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, but it does emphasize this. And so uh, I don't know if any of you have read Swedenborg. I don't know if any of you have read Swedenborg in the glorious old green translations that he has. There's a phrase that he uses that is very, was very cryptic to me for years. Uh, he would speak about the truths of the word, but he would also speak about the goods of the word. So he uses the term, the word, to apply to the Bible. And so I kind of thought I understood what the truths are. The truths of the word would be, okay, there is a God and there's a heaven, there are angels who help us out and stuff like that. You know, okay, those are the truths of the word. What are the goods of the word? What, what is the goods of the word? Well, even my understanding of the truths of the word has evolved a little bit. Remember, what does it say in John 3? Those who what the truth? Those who do the truth. I came to realize that often when Swedenborg uses the term truth, he doesn't mean statements of what is. He means marching orders. The, the, the core truth is the Ten Commandments. You know, the truth is what you should do. And we're supposed to live by those who do the truth. So do the truth in John 3 is the same as those who do his commandments in Revelation 22, 14. That's the same thing. Commandments equal truth. Um, so the truths of the word are all those commandments that we're supposed to follow. 
Uh, and so that's what doing the truth, so the truth is not abstract. Oh, that's fascinating. Did you know there are 18 heavens and six of them are blue? Is it? Oh, fascinating. You know, no, the truth is, hey, you need to stop being bad to people. Be good to people. It's about love. Here's the Lord. He'll help you. This is what angels are. This is what devils look like and how they roll and everything. And uh, so that's what he's talking about. Uh, so how this connects us with heaven is like we said in part one. This aligns us with heaven, both in our thinking and in our practice. The goods of the word mean what the word teaches about how to love others. You know, the goods that are taught, the good things, the good actions, the good practices. So there's the truths of the word, which are the commandments and so on. And there are the goods of the word, like the Good Samaritan who takes care of people, you know, or whatever, that kind of thing, go the extra mile. So that sort of, to me, I, I couldn't get much sense out of it. The goods, this means the goods of the word. But that's really what we're talking about tonight is understanding the goods of the word. Uh, and I only found that out by reading a lot of Swedenborg's works and realizing that he was talking about a faith alone and some of that sort of Protestant teaching uh, ignores the goods of the word. Like it says that, the teaching of good is not necessary. It doesn't contribute to your salvation. It's important for society, you know, keeps the world running. That's good, makes for a good society if people are following those things, but it doesn't contribute a lick to your salvation. Don't be thinking you're going to earn your little brownie points and get into heaven because you did, oh, what a good boy am I. I did all the right things. You know, well, that's not the spirit in which angels do it. They feel very humble. Uh, but if you don't do anything, that's no good either because those who do evil hate the light and don't want to come to it. So how is that going to help you? Just having faith but hating the light because your deeds are evil, uh, that's, why, that's exactly why John the Baptist starts with a message of repentance. You've got to stop practicing those evil things, lay that aside, that's the main work that we do. That's one of the goods of the word is like actually practice that repentance, lay those things aside. If you are like, um, I don't know how to say this, might be a heresy. I'll, I'll tell you if it is. Um, uh, basically, what's coming to me to say is that um, if you are kind of like, well, have you ever been in a situation? I was in a situation once. I remember a time where uh, uh, a neighbor's, uh, uh, it was up in Canada, and a neighbor's driveway got completely, they didn't shovel it after it, the, there was a heavy, wet snow, and it just froze to like a block of ice. And so I decided I was going to do a good deed, and I was going to go over and, and try to chip that ice out of their driveway. And these were young, able people. They were my same age. You know, it's not like they were shut-ins or something like that. And so I went over there and did that. But I found as I was doing it, I got so angry. Like I was really, you know, I wasn't coming from a good place. <laughs> Actually, I was kind of judging them. And I was like, oh, why can't you do your own driveway? You know, and um, so, you know, that wasn't exactly a good, a good deed, right? You know, it wasn't from a perfectly a loving place. And sometimes I've done good things for people. You know, I did something, I got someone hooked up with a job one time and all that kind of stuff. And then the person didn't thank me at all. I was really upset that they never, and it's only when they, I didn't get thanked that I realized, 
oh, I think I was kind of coming from a self-centered, oh, I'm the big guy, I can hook you up with a job, you know. And, uh, you know, and so when the thank you didn't come, I realized, wait a minute, I was looking for a reward. What did the Lord say? Expecting nothing in return, he said, you know, like doing good just because it's a good thing to do, uh, not coming from that sort of self-centered place. Um, that, that's, that's tricky. It takes a lot of practice. But that's really our salvation. And it's not our salvation later, you know, when you're doing it, it's salvation, isn't it? Like when you're able to do something good because you love it and you enjoy it and you're just rejoicing in the good of it and you, don't, you actually hope nobody notices or, or pays attention and makes a fuss about it because it just was good and it felt good to do it, you know? You already got your reward. The angels don't even want to be made a fuss of or praised. It's like they'd rather be anonymous, which they delightfully are with us, aren't they? They just dump good things into our mind and we don't know who they are or what, what they did, you know, and they, they're just perfectly happy about it because they get to do good. That is its own reward. So um, these are, uh, so this is the teaching of good in the Word. These are the goods in the Word. All the stuff that teaches that you have to live by it. Swedenborg marvels at the kind of blindness of taking one or two passages about, you know, belief and about justified by faith apart from the works of the law and then ignoring, because there's the tip of the iceberg that we read tonight, but there's tons of passages. When you open your eye to it, it's everywhere. It's all about how we live. It's not only in the Old Testament, easy to find it in the Old Testament, but it's also in the New Testament. It's not only in the Gospels, it's also in the Epistles, not only in the Epistles, it's also in the book of Revelation. Uh, it, the, the whole thing is, is full of that. And if you want a treat, if you want a homework assignment, read the epistle of James, because that's all about good works. The whole thing is just glorious. Uh, it's wonderful about James. Swedenborg tells a story in the spiritual world where there are these uh, faith alone uh, preachers, and they're so mad about the epistle of James that at the end of this passage, they just say, that James, that James, you know. <laughs> They're just furious about it. So if you want to read something the faith alone people are mad at, go read the Epistle of James because that makes it very clear that our good works are so important. I'll show you my faith by my works, he says. You know. So uh, to wrap this up, as I hope I have done, good friends, uh, there are lots of passages in Scripture about good works. And obviously good works are good for our neighbor. We would want them ourselves. So the golden rules, yes, let's do good works. That's a good thing to do. But, uh, and the Lord benefits from them too. He said that. So he benefits from them. So good works are a great thing to do. And truly good works are good works that come from a good heart, that are inspired by the Lord and by heaven. You know, sometimes you get that little inkling, you're like, ooh, I think I'll do this. You know, it's so fun when an idea pops into your head and then it turns out to be just the thing for somebody. It's just so fun. Heaven's just speaking to us and we do it and it's great and, and we feel good. We get that nice reward, that good feeling. Uh, that it's almost like instantaneous salvation, isn't it? Like you get saved like right that moment. Um, and uh, contrary to popular opinion, very widespread view, at least in Protestantism and the, and the, the Reformed and so forth churches, evangelical churches, uh, the Bible teaches that good works not only contribute to our salvation, they're 
absolutely vital to it. They are the basis of our salvation. That is what saves us. So it seems important to say that. And how this relates to the whole idea of the gate of heaven and connecting with heaven is that if we really don't understand, like good works are so fundamental, if we really don't understand what we're doing and why we're doing it, it's still a good thing to do. You know, if you have all sorts of teachings, Swedenborg talks about all kinds of people who have a head full of faith alone teachings and they're living good lives because the Bible says live a good life. He said those people are fine. You know, where it becomes destructive is where uh, you have a head full of faith alone and you say, oh, it doesn't matter that I did this sin. You know, uh, it doesn't matter that I'm living this way or that I love this or that I'm acting out, uh, you know, because my behavior doesn't matter at all. Jesus died for that and, and we'll be fine. That the cloak of salvation, with the Lord's merit will just cover us and, and we'll be absolutely fine. Uh, that is not uh, the case. It's very important uh, for connecting with heaven. Can you imagine? Can you picture a world, good friends, in which people in this world are doing each other good from a genuine place, you know, not for the quarterly revenue and, you know, shareholder profit, you know, but actually because it's just a blessing. They just want to bless you, expecting nothing in return. You had a whole world full of people who were doing that. You know, what a difference that would make. If we have those other views, we will certainly have spirits with us. But Swedenborg says the thing about spirits is, that they have the same teachings we have. They, you know, they're, just, they're, they're not going to teach you anything else. They're just going to reinforce what you already think. If we want to align with angels, and that's where we got to get, for the earth to be more like heaven, for heaven and earth to be back together again, as in heaven, so upon the earth, have that holy city, New Jerusalem, come down. We got to be getting a little more on that page of like, oh man, it's all about the good works. It's all about loving, wise actions. This is not too early to start working on that, you know. It is good to get some practice here in this world, get used to that, lay aside some evil, let the Lord inspire us and do good works because it's foundational to our salvation and we will provide for our happiness. What did Paul say to Tim? You'll not only save yourself, you'll save other people who, who you're blessing by this means. So this is a very important component of this world becoming more like heaven. If we're on the same page about good works and the role that it plays in salvation, this will have a huge effect on making this more of a heaven on earth down here. Thank you, friends. Let's close with a prayer, shall we? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. You are the Word made flesh. You lived these instructions. You did this truth. You embodied this love in your healing, in your teaching, in the concern that you showed for everyone of whatever nationality, whatever gender, whatever race. Your love is so evident, Lord, in the way that you were in walking on this earth. And it's so important that we understand how to follow you. As we do those things, then we will believe in you. Then we will see you. Then we will come to the light and be in the light with you. 
We pray, Lord, that you bless us in our work, the work of repentance, and in the work of doing good. We pray that our good works may come from a good heart and a good understanding and connect us with heaven, Lord. It's not too soon. We're not jumping the gun. Let's start connecting with heaven here so that this earth is more like heaven so that you can have a place to lay your head. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our repentance will make a big difference to this.